2010-2011, um, I preached through the first 15 chapters um, of the book of Revelation, and by way of popular request, have been asked to finish uh, the remainder of the last book of the Bible. So we're going to do that over the next uh, two, maybe three months, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, first, by way of reintroduction, um, laying the groundwork uh, for interpretation. We'll do that today and next week, and then we'll proceed to where we left off, which is uh, chapter 16. Um, in recent years, uh, a couple surveys were taken. One was a, a survey of books in the Bible that church members would like to have taught. Another survey was books of the Bible preachers least desire to teach. And what do you think is on the top of both lists? The book of Revelation. Uh, by the way, it's the book of Revelation. There's no S at the end of Revelation. May we not, anyone in this church, say the revelations of Jesus or the book of Revelations. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Revelation depicts a continuing conflict between God and Satan, the Lamb and the dragon, the church and the world, the city of God's people and the great city known as Babylon, the bride and the harlot. And conversely, uh, Revelation um, depicts much more than that conflict, but also uh, depicts a great conquest, and that is uh, the declaration of truth that Jesus Christ has conquered and intends for his people um, to share in his victory now. Amen? Now, at the beginning of the 20th century, Henry Sweet wrote that the whole book of Re Revelation is sursum corda, um, Latin for lift up heart, lift up the heart, which is a summons here to John's readers to lift up their hearts in order to see their current tribulations, their current trouble in relation to the victorious, reigning, ruling, and returning Christ. Unfortunately, uh, many Christians um, come to this book with, with certain presuppositions um, formed by popular teachings, especially, I'd say, of the last few decades, which causes much confusion and even anxiety, um, fear for some Christians, it, which is very ironic due to the fact that the title itself is what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation. English translation of the, of the Greek word apocalypsis. And we all are familiar with the word apocalypse, right? This is also known as the apocalypse of John. There's no need whatsoever to interpret the word apocalypse as the cataclysmic end of the world. Planes falling out of the air. Cars crashing, people secretly disappearing, you know, and, and along with other, you know, sci-fi interpretations. Apocalypse means the unveiling of, the pulling back 
Um, a, a disclosure, not a concealing. This is not a concealed message. This is a disclosure. The revelation. It means to expose what lies behind the veil. It's something that's uncovered. And most specifically here, it's, it's the uncovering. It is the revealing of Jesus Christ, the glorified, exalted King of kings and Lord of lords, the victor, our victor, our king. Now, there are a number of reactions uh, to the book of Revelation. Um, one response, Christians, is that of fear. Uh, whether it's fear-based, you know, not understanding the imagery or the judgments, uh, the type of language um, that, that is written, that, it's commu- that is communicated through the book of Revelation, or perhaps it's a fear uh, produced by a, a misinterpretation uh, of the book. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but being gripped by that kind of fear... Um, People miss the blessing of the book of Revelation. We read right here in chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and who keep what is written in it. Blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy. So one response is fear, intimidation. Another response is to marginalize the book, um, to downgrade or to ignore its content. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther wrote about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he said that the book of Revelation is unedifying for the ordinary believer. Luther was wrong. Okay? Calvin can be wrong and Luther can be wrong. (laughs) Amen? Thank you. Now, the book of Revelation is very edifying for all believers of all time. From the seven churches it was addressed to, to those who will live on the very day in which Christ returns. Every age of all peoples um, in Christ are to be edified by this book. So, there's three, three principles that we must adhere to in, for, in order for it the book of Revelation, to serve its function as b- being edifying, as being a blessing to God's people. And that is, we must understand uh, that there are three characteristics that, that we mustn't let go of as we read this book. Because this book is characterized by three literary styles. Number one, it is an epistle. It's a letter a literal letter written to a particular audience to address their real-life situation and imminent circumstances confronting those people. Okay, number one, it's a letter. Number two, it's a prophecy which both foretells of future events and also is forthtelling, that is, in declaring God's Word. So it's an epistle, it's a prophecy, and thirdly, it's apocalyptic it's a, which is a genre uh, um, of literature that, that seeks to communicate symbolically. Okay, that's a big key, symbolically. Okay, first, Revelation's a letter. It's an epistle. As Romans is an epistle, or First Thessalonians is an epistle. And it was sent to the seven churches scattered throughout Asia Minor, 
Um, they're you know, mentioned by name in chapters 2 and 3. And as a matter of fact, there were more than seven churches in Asia Minor. But if you look on a map in your Bible, you'll see that these seven are laid out in a kind of circle. So it's very symbolic. It's a literal letter written to seven literal churches. And we can t- interpret this as a letter coming from the Savior, not only to those seven churches, but applied to us, to all churches throughout all ages. But this was written specifically for a church that was under attack. And it was written to comfort those that were being addressed. So as we study the Bible, it's imperative that we rightly understand what each passage meant in its original context to those original recipients. Amen? The big principle, main principle right there. And Revelation is no different. It's no different. So, in other words, it was not written to those living right before Christ returns. It's not written for those living in the last seven years of history. Now, having said that, we can be sure that although the Bible wasn't written to us directly, it was most certainly written for us, right? Romans wasn't written to us, it was written for us. The Revelation wasn't written to us, it was also written for us. And it's to be understood as it was to those who originally received it, rolled up as a scroll. So if this letter, which it is, it's a letter, was geared towards those living at the very end, it would make it irrelevant to those for whom it was originally addressed. We all agree with that. So this was originally addressed to these seven churches that are no doubt a type of the church as a whole. Therefore, it was written for us to be understood as it was to them. Case in point, Scripture cannot mean to us what it never meant to the original readers. One theologian has said, regard to the revelation of Jesus Christ, any interpretation of this book that necessitates a 21st century perspective is almost certainly wrong. And such is the case with every book of the Bible. It's written for us, not to us. Okay, so that's principle number one, characteristic number one. It's an epistle. It's a literal letter. Number two, revelation is a prophecy. And prophecy, as you all know, in its fullest form, was developed in the Old Testament, both in foretelling of future events and foretelling the very Word of God, the Word of the Lord. So both elements occur here in the Old, uh, that occur in the Old Testament occur here um, in the Revelation. And the biblical approach to, to interpreting Revelation is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So in order to understand the revelation, you're continually going back to the Old Testament counterpart. So in other words, the interpretation of the, refe- of the revelation is strictly controlled by the Old Testament because all of the imagery comes from there. And when John makes, makes reference to these things here, you notice he says these things that soon 
must take place. I tried to emphasize that when I read that. He's not making a reference to the fact that the world itself is going to end very soon. But what he's actually making reference of is is the fact that what he's talking about is already underway. Okay, notice chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner, notice this, in the what? First word. Tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are on Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, John is writing from an island that he was exiled to because of persecution that was already taking place. He writes as a partner in the tribulation. Tribulation that was already happening. And no doubt, beloved, he, John, the only one who died of old age out of the apostles, was no doubt thinking of his fellow apostles who were crucified upside down, run through with a spear, beaten with rods unto death, bludgeoned to death. So he talks here about uh, of a tribulation that is here. Not that it's going to come, but it's here. This is not some far-off future point in time that he's uh, making reference of. He said it's now. You know, we sit here today not fearing armed radical Muslims barging in here and just shooting us all dead. We don't fear them putting chains around the doors and setting the building on fire while we're in here, as they do today throughout the world. Amen? So tell our brothers or sisters in China, Korea, Africa, oh, it's not the tribulation. Tell them that. Come on. John said it's now, but John also said this. He refers to himself as a current partner in the what? The kingdom. Verse 9. Remember when Jesus began to preach, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he said it's at hand or it's near, he's not saying that the kingdom of God is on the horizon as though it's coming soon, but that it's actually here now. And he communicates with language, which is is known here as an exaggerated statement of imminence. Remember what he said about casting out demons? If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. So his casting out of demons proved that he is the king. He's the king of the kingdom. When the kingdom came, when the king came, he brought with him and established his kingdom. The kingdom has arrived. So the setting up of the kingdom of God began with the first coming of Jesus Christ. It was inaugurated then, and Christ rules over it now. It will be fully consummated when he comes back a second time. Notice verse 5 of Revelation 1. Christ is the ruler of kings on earth. He rules now. Verse 6, he has made us, he has made us a kingdom, to be a kingdom, to be priests in that kingdom. And again, verse 9, John refers to himself as a brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom So it's also true that this kingdom 
again, has not been established in its full form. So it's known as the already and the not yet. Already established, not yet fully consummated kingdom of God. Because that's the new heaven and the new earth. Okay? The consummation of this kingdom that he established. So he inaugurated it then. um, And will fully consummate it. So, that tells us that the ultimate fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, that is Daniel chapter 7, prophecy of an everlasting kingdom, again, would be inaugurated and fully consummated. So, it's a happening of events. Now, the concern of the letter to the original recipients is that this will soon come to pass, that this is at hand. Now, some attempt in our day to suggest that soon and near has nothing to do with time at all, but instead has everything to do with the reality of an at-any-moment possibility. But that view, common among dispensational premillennialists, distorts the meaning of the word soon and near. He said soon. It is near. So any interpretation here uh, that, that propels the entire fulfillment of Revelation to the last seven years of human s- history with Christians secretly disappearing somewhere around chapter 4 misses the point of the book of Revelation altogether, which is a letter and is a prophecy to the seven churches in Asia Minor. So, again, John is talking about something that has already commenced, that is continuing to occur and will ultimately come to fruition, full consummation at the end of the age that is at his second coming. Very important ground rules here for proper interpretation. So this is why, beloved, that the revelation is relevant to every Christian of every age and not just those at the very, very end. Now, Although Revelation is prophetic, and it is a letter, um, it's not an ordinary letter, <laughs> to say the least. Amen? Third principle, or the, thir- the third characteristic of Revelation, is that it's a, a particular genre of literature that seeks to communicate symbolically. Symbolically. Even though Revelation takes the form of an epistle, it is a letter It is prophetic. The content is known as apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. So it's it's a genre of literature that makes use of highly symbolic visions and language depicting those visions. Now, this is a form of literature that was very popular and understood by those who lived from uh, 200 B.C. to 150 um, A.D. And the book of Revelation is is very much like the the prophecies of Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah, uh, which also use um, similar um, apocalyptic um, symbols. And that really, beloved, leads to our difficulty in dealing with apocalyptic apocalyptic literature because most believers don't generally read or even like to read the Old Testament, let alone those Old Testament books that have within them uh, apocalyptic language, like Ezekiel or Isaiah and so on. But 
out of the 404 verses of the book of Revelation tell of over 500 allusions that come from Isaiah, most of which, half of which I think it is, come from Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the Psalms. 500 allusions to the Old Testament in 404 verses. So while John was writing to these people both a mission and a message, why did it make sense to them? Quite simply, because the first century audience that received it understood the imagery. Okay, are you with me? They understood the imagery. So the symbols in apocalyptic literature are not intended to be taken in a wooden literal sense, let alone, beloved, a 21st century contemporary sense. Okay? This is Old Testament symbolism understood by first century hearers. Vern Poitras wrote this. Quote, many people have trouble with Revelation because they approach it from the wrong end. If we start asking what do the bear's feet in Revelation 13 stand for, turning our focus on the minutia, right, the details of Revelation, and ignore the big picture, we'll get into trouble. Revelation, Poitras says, is a picture book. It's not a puzzle book. James Stuart Russell, who wrote a work called The Perusia, he said, Revelation is not like a telescope, but like a kaleidoscope. Remember a kaleidoscope when you were a kid? You look in the little scope, and it's got all those fascinating colors moving within. So far, that is to say, far too many modern interpreters attempt to puzzle together 21st century technology, machinery, and structures to identify imagery portrayed 2,000 plus years ago. That's a big bozo no-no. Where, for instance, the locust prepared for battle In Revelation 9, with teeth like lion's teeth and breastplates like iron, the noise of their wings is like the noise of many horses running into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, interpreted today as Apache helicopters firing off missiles in the midst of cataclysmic cataclysmic events. But the imagery of Revelation is pictorial expressed to people who understood the symbols. Every culture has symbols, amen? We use symbols every day that need no explanation. If you see a picture of a cake with candles on it, you know it's somebody's birthday. If you see a red sign in the shape of an octagon, if it has no word on it, what does it mean? Thank you, stop. In other words, we don't have to decode them because we understand them. Different cultures have different symbols, so the original recipients of Revelation rightly understood the symbols. Now, this I want to do an exercise. We did this, if you were here, during the introduction of Revelation. And, and I want to read a little formula, a little story, a uh, little imagery, which is really depicting something in our day by way of apocalyptic language. It was formulated by Jeanine Constantino, who 
taught uh, some years ago um, apocalyptic literature. It goes like this. The crescent moon, moon larger. While the eagle slept, two silver birds flew above the wall and tore into the apple. The great and small, the finest and the bravest perished. Ashes to ashes, from dust to dust, the bull and the bear stood still as the smoke rose from the twisted steel mountain. Its number is 911. Now I added to that. I added some to what is wrote there. That's describing 9-11 in apocalyptic language. Notice, the crescent moon moon larger. That's growing Islam. While the eagle slept, the eagle represents the United States of America. Two silver birds flew, two planes that flew into the buildings uh, above the wall. That's Wall Street, tore into the apple, the big apple. That's New York City. The great and the small, rich and the poor. The finest and the bravest, New York City's finest, the police, New York City's bravest, the fire department, perished, ashes to ashes from dust to dust. The bull and the bear, New York's stock exchange, stood still as the smoke rose from the twisted seal mountain. Its number is 911. Pretty simple. Because we live now, amen? We live now. We, 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 we understand this. And in order for us to understand Revelation, we have to go back and familiarize ourselves with the symbols of their time. Drawn out of the Old Testament constantly alluding to Old Testament symbols. We don't press them into our day. So, in other words, if today's newspaper, today's newspapers are necessary as far as serving as a key to interpret the book of Revelation, then no generation until our own could have understood, let alone obeyed the book. Amen? Because, Revelation 1.3, blessed are those who hear and keep, that is, obey what is written in it. How would you have possibly have read, let alone obeyed what's written in it, if all the prophetic truth within it was intended for an audience living two or 3,000 years later? They couldn't have. Because it would have been a vision concealed. Remember like Daniel? keep these things concealed until the time, and then hundreds of years later, they were fulfilled. We're told in Revelation, John is not to conceal these things because they're happening now, then. And they continue to happen, as we'll see. Okay, now, within this style of literature known as apocalyptic, um, numbers, numbers, Throughout the book of Revelation, we read of numbers, amen, which seek to, to convey something very significant. All these numbers are symbolic. We hear the number seven over and over again. Seven churches, seven golden lampstands, seven stars, seven torches, seven spirits of God, seven eyes, seven seals, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven heads, seven plagues, seven bowls, seven mountains, seven kings, and seven blessings. <laughs> we see the number 12. 12 apostles, 12 tribes, 12 crowns, 12 gates, 12 pearls, 12 gems, 12 foundations, 24 elders, 144,000 people, 10 horns, 10 kings, 10 days. So numbers, beloved, are symbolic throughout Revelation. You have 144,000, right? It's 12 times 12 times 1,000, which is like an innumerable number. 
to people living in the first century. And remember this as a principle of Revelation. Things are not as they appear in the Revelation. In Revelation 7, John hears 144,000 from every tribe, from the 12 tribes. When, when you read the next verse, what does it say? It was an innumerable number. It was a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and people. So what John hears and what he sees are, are the same thing. He hears 144,000, and he sees an innumerable, num- innumerable number of people from every tribe. John hears, lion of the tribe of Judah, a lion. He turns and he sees a lamb as though it had been slain. Now, there's guys in our day who will teach, they'll say numbers are symbolic until you get to 144,000. And then they say 144,000 is a literal 144,000 Jews, little uh, Jewish Billy Grahams running around as evangelists the last seven years of the world, of history. So it stops being symbolic when you get to 144,000. They'll also teach that numbers are symbolic until you get to the number 1,000. And 1,000, which is uh, symbolic, 10 times 10, 10 times 10 times 10, which is an extended or a long period of time, all of a sudden now is to be interpreted literally as a 1,000 literal year millennium in a literal land known as Israel as Jesus sits on a literal throne there. Symbolic. As is the rest of the numbers. 144,000 is symbolic. 1,000 is symbolic, just like 7 is symbolic. Just like three and a half years is symbolic. 1,260 days. A time, times and half time. 42 months are all synonymous terms for, for a period of time that will not last forever. Whether it's suffering or whether it's to take refuge. And what it represents here, and and what I'll um, show you as we move through this, is that three and a half years, 1,260 days, times time and a half time, 42 months, designate the time between Christ's resurrection and his return. Symbolic. So Revelation is a book filled with Symbols in motion, numbers, colors, animals, beasts. So an accurate contextual interpretation, therefore will, therefore will put you at odds with what you've heard or perhaps have been taught over the last few years, and especially what you have read in things like the Left Behind series. You do not want to build your eschatology from fiction. Friends, do not build your eschatology from books like this. So this revelation is a revelation that was seen. It was something shown. Verse 11, 
Write what you see, notice, not what you hear. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Write what you see. Radical imagery. (laughs) Radical imagery that can only be interpreted from the Old Testament. And it's not to be, like, parsed and all diced up. It's a general big picture. It's like when you're a kid. I read, man, I read an analogy somewhere in some commentary a couple years ago that these hotshot seminary students went up to the, uh, the uh, custodian who was reading. He says, what are you reading? He's reading his Bible. What are you reading there, these proud youngsters? What are you reading there? Oh, I'm reading the Revelation. Would you understand what you're reading? He says, yeah, I do, actually. And, and, and he went on to talk about children who would, read the, who would read the Revelation as a young child or hear it and understand it because of its imagery until they got older. People start pressing into the text these radical interpretations from the 20 or 21st century. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Okay, so it's a letter, a literal letter. It's an epistle. It's prophetic, and it's apocalyptic. Three characteristics that you don't want to let go of as we work our way through it. Now, granted, in a couple weeks, I'm going to jump right to chapter 16, but you can go to our website, and if you want, all the messages are on there. And you're going to hear a lot of Old Testament. And you know what else you're going to hear? You're going to hear the same story told in another way. That's what Revelation is. Okay? We're shown the basic structure of Revelation as it follows a form known as recapitulation. From where we get recap. To recap. Or to sum up once again. That's the basic thesis of the book. Revelation covers the same period, that is the last days, that the last days being, the last days being, from the time, the time of Christ's resurrection until his return. Those are the last days. So when people ask her, you think we're living in the last days? Say, absolutely. Just like John was on the island of Patmos. Amen. <laughs> yes, so you can say yes. Dennis Johnson, in his book, Triumph of the Lamb, great commentary on the revelation of Jesus Christ, writes this, quote, Each of these visions is like looking at the same scene from a different camera angle. I said when we were in the book, because I'm a football fan, I said, this is like watching a football game seeing the same play. You know when they fumble a ball and you can't see from one angle if he was holding the ball before he hit the ground? So they have 18 others. They have cameras everywhere. This is like seeing the same play from seven different camera angles. That is to say, Revelation, and I'll go over some of this next week, is made up of seven sections that examine the entire period between the first and second comings of Jesus Christ, each stressing a different angle or particular emphasis. So this is a book that is constantly covering the same common ground, 
returning to survey it from a different vantage point. That's really uh, what it is. And on occasion, we're given further insight. So as you read through the book, the, the events of final judgment and salvation repeat itself seven times. Seven different times. Okay, so generally speaking, okay, so recapitulation, seven different pictures of the same period of time. Generally speaking, you can, you can divide um, Revelation into two equal halves. You have Revelation chapter 1 through chapter 11 um, is viewed from the perspective of the conflict of the church on earth. So you see the conflict, you see persecution, you see God's judgment, where God's people are always sealed and secured in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of trouble. These are a sealed people. So it doesn't matter how you're going to die because you're going to die. And the point is that as God's sealed people, you're eternally secured to never be caught up in the wrath of God. Okay, the wrath of God as taught today is not tribulation. The wrath of God is eternal judgment. So Revelation 1 through 11, viewed from the perspective of conflict of the church on earth, whereas Revelation 12 to 22 covers the same conflict against the backdrop of the ultimate heavenly conflict. Something of which we'll learn more about this morning as we look at Exodus 1. So there's, there's a peeling back of, of another veil when you get to chapter 12. 1 through 11, you see this, this, these pictures. And then in chapter 12, it says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. This is faithful Israel. This is faithful Old Testament Israel. Those that were true believers. Another sign, verse 3, appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and seven horns, uh, ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. What did Herod do when he heard that these magi who came in from the east were seeking the king of the Jews, the king of Israel? He went into paranoid mode. And set out to kill all the innocents in Bethlehem, where the promised one was to be born. And they fled to Egypt. So she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Where does that language come from? Daniel, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So there you have the birth, the life, the death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Taking us behind the earthly veil to the cosmic reality. And verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. 
a war arose in heaven, verse 7. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And Jesus stands there as mediator between God and man. No accusation can stand against those that are in Christ. He stands as the mediator. He is our righteousness. He is victor. The risen, ruling, reigning Savior. King of kings. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. This is the conquering power. It's the blood. Right there, verse 11. For they love not their lives even unto what? Death. Death. One of the churches that, one of the two churches that receives no reproof from our Lord, right, is... Smyrna, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer, he says. Revelation 2, verse 10. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful. What? Unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He says, be faithful. You're going to die. This tribulation will result in your death. Be faithful unto death. Is there any escape there from this worldly conflict? No, but they're secured, aren't they? Yes, they're secured. So as we get back into the book of Revelation... Uh, Many of the messages, many of the texts will sound the same. And I started to kind of hear that from some of the folks when we were chapter 13, 14, 15. It kind of sounds the same. That's because it is. That's the point of the book. And why do they sound the same? It's due to the fact that they make much of Christ the only one who's worthy of all praise and adoration because he's the conquering king. Amen? I received a message uh, well, I'm out of time. I received a message from a guy who listens to uh, our messages and such online uh, in Minnesota. Minnesota. Because where he lives, there's not that many good churches, so he... uh, Apparently, so he listens online, and this is what he wrote me, although he doesn't have that accent, but he wrote this. He said, I just want you to know what a huge blessing the sermons on Revelation are. I'm absolutely loving it. It has been a worldview changer. I never had a clue. (laughs) I guess I can quit looking for those choppers now. Amen. Amen.